Well, that makes you want to preach on heaven out of the book of Revelation 21 or 22, and I'm looking forward to going there. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we were made to sit in heavenly places and we can enjoy the journey and enjoy a little bit of heaven along the way. Wonderful to be able to be here tonight in the house of God, and I'm grateful. I, honestly, I've preached in pulpits all over America and in various nations around the world, and it's one of the greatest honors to be able to stand here tonight and fill the pulpit on behalf of our pastor. And I'm grateful for a church that is a living organism and uh, has a church that has some life in it. I've preached in some places where I'd have given $100 if I'd have had it in my billfold just for a grunt, much less an amen. But that's not the case here. I remember going north. Anybody from Canada tonight? Well, I don't want to make sure I don't offend somebody before I said it. Of course, it wouldn't have made any difference. But um, I remember the first time I preached up in Canada. Uh, I would have taken cue cards with me and held them up, said amen, so they'd known where to say amen if I'd, uh, if I'd have thought about it. But uh, great pe folks, they love the Lord and uh, just different type of worship, but it is great to be here tonight. Uh, thank you for all the young folks that have signed up for the MAPS program, our Missionary Advancement Preparation School for in the morning. We will start at 9 o'clock sharp, and then Miss Ellis and others will have a little bit of breakfast items ready a little bit early. So if you could be there 8.45 or so, that would be great. We're looking forward to a wonderful week. I want to say this tonight, I'm grateful for the missionaries that God's given to us here out of Bible Baptist Church. Uh, the missionaries that are dedicated, sold out, surrendered to God, the Lord's given them their support speedily, and so uh, we're grateful and we're praying that the Lord will raise up others. And uh, so if you're praying about full-time ministry, no sense in praying about it. I'm sure Pastor won't mind me telling you. Uh, God's done told me to tell you at Rock of Ages, that's where it's all to be. So uh, we, we're needing missionaries, we'd ask you to pray with us, join with us in prayer. We've been claiming Matthew 9, 38 for some time now. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Tonight, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Psalm uh, 85 of the Old Testament, Psalm 85. I have visited the text this morning uh, a little over a year ago or thereabouts in the church, and I enjoy 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and preaching through uh, those scriptures. But I want to go to the Old Testament book of Psalm tonight in chapter 85, We'll read one verse tonight for the sake of time, and I'd ask you if you've found Psalm 85 to stand in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Wonderful music here at our church. That's one of the things that I love here. And then also, again, the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't mind being around folks that enjoy worshiping. I've preached in many churches across the nation that there is no life. There seems to be no spirit, and I know there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers but I thank God to be able to be a part of a church that has life and don't mind worshiping. And um, if you don't believe me, as we've traveled around the nation, many of the young folks of our generation have never experienced true worship such as we experience uh, frequently in our services here at Bible Baptist. And so I thank God for it. Never take for granted what the Lord has given to us here at the church and for our pastor and his family and for the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. In Psalm 85 and verse number 6, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We thank you for our church, and we thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we've been made to sit in heavenly places, and Lord, that you have allowed us to enjoy the journey. Our Father, tonight there may be those sitting on the sound of our voice, that has been saved, but their hearts and lives are cold and distant upon the Lord. And our Father, I pray that you may speak to them tonight and draw them, I pray. And Father, may they...
come to that place of rededicating themselves to you. And Father, there may be those sitting on the side of our voice tonight that are straddling and right on the verge of giving themselves completely and wholly over to God in full-time Christian service or in a place of committing themselves wholly unto the Lord. And I pray that you'll take the scriptures, the word of God, and may you give the increase tonight. Father, if there's one here that's lost, may the Holy Spirit of God convict them and draw them according to thy will. Bless tonight our pastor as he stands to preach there in Florida, and I pray that you'll empower him, God, that you'll anoint him. May you breathe upon him, and may you use him as a mighty tool, a vessel, an instrument in the hand of God. I'd ask your blessings now upon every need that's represented here tonight at Bible Baptist. And I pray, our Father, that you'll give thy servant great power, give us liberty, give us an anointing. And I pray that you'll help us to have a clear mind and speech tonight for thy glory. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we consider this passage of Scripture, it is a definition of the word revival. Notice that in our text it says, Wilt thou not revive us again? You see, revival is a return or a recall or a recovery from a state of death or apparent death to life and vitality. There are many churches and many Christians in our society today, both at home and abroad, that once had life once had what we have experienced here tonight in the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And yet they have arrived at the place of spiritual apathy, complacency, a spiritual death, and there truly needs to be a revival. Notice in our text, he says, Will thou not revive us again? And our text implies that those that are in need of revival, once had revival. They once experienced the presence of God. They once experienced the the moving of God. They once experienced God's answer to their prayer. And they once experienced God's leadership and guidance in their life. But no longer. May I ask you a question tonight in the foundation of our message? Why is it that we live in a nation that is a nation that has more Bibles than any other nation on the planet earth and yet we do not have revival? Why is it that in America we have more churches than any other nation on the planet earth and yet we have no revival? Why is it that in America as we travel from church to church and state to state and city to city and yea, even nations on foreign soil and they are praying God's people everywhere for revival? I do not believe there is a church that we have been in for the last few years that has not had on their prayer requests a prayer for revival for the church and for God's people. And so I ask you tonight, with all the prayers, with all the Bibles, with all the churches, and with all of the preachers and the evangelists and the missionaries, why are we not experiencing revival in America tonight? I believe there are several reasons why, but tonight I would like to speak on this subject matter, why revival is not happening 
And tonight I would like to examine the Bible and look at various portions of it on the subject matter of revival. Notice, if you would, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse number 35, Paul, writing his first letter to the church at Corinth, said, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distractions. And the word attend in the context of our scripture, it literally means to set toward, it literally means to be diligently in the service of God, to be face to face with God himself. And so Paul writes to this secular, worldly, influenced church and says that they should set themselves upon the Lord, they should attend upon the Lord without distractions. May I submit to you tonight that one of the uh, first reasons and one of the main reasons why we are not experiencing revival in America tonight is because of distractions. I believe that America wants revival for those that have been saved. I believe tonight there are those sitting on the sound of our voice that want revival. I believe as we travel from church to church and state to state and city to city and nation to nation and folks lift their hands and say pray for revival. I believe they mean that with all of their heart. But I believe distractions has hindered our nation and our churches and our personal lives from revival. You see, distractions means that which is a drawing apart, that which is a separation, uh, that which diverts our attention. And may I say to you, there are many things in America today that is a distraction to the people of God. And as I consider this matter, may I uh, say to you tonight that there are many distractions that hinder in our personal lives. And we have come to the place in America, it's not a matter of whether or not God can fit us in His schedule by our willingness. We've come to the place that we can't even fit God in our schedules for the most part. And I'm for Palm Pilots and smartphones uh, except for the fact that they are smartphones because they're smarter than most of us. Some time ago, I was scheduling a meeting on Siri on my iPhone, and, and uh, I had it on there, and I came back and I said, Siri, cancel that meeting. And Siri literally said to me, that's okay, Mr. Ellis, you're too busy anyway. <laughs> Maybe I want to throw my phone out the window. It's bad enough to have one woman talking to you, much less two of them trying to tell you how to get where you're going. And two of them telling you you're too busy. But I'm simply saying I'm for these things, but if we're not careful, we schedule God out of our lives. We're in a generation that is so busy that we have scheduled ourselves and we are, and obviously you're faithful tonight, you're here in the house of God. But I'm simply saying that for the most part, Americans have scheduled God out of their lives. When we're too busy for God, we're too busy indeed. May I share with you a few things that I believe distract us? There are distractions such as hurts. 
Sometimes people get their feelings hurt at others and as a result of that, it distracts them from being all that they should be and all that they could be for the glory of God. Sometimes family issues, they become a distraction and they hinder us and they uh, draw our attention away from God. Sometimes our feelings and our worldly cares and our finances can all become uh, distractions in the service of God. Opportunities can be a distraction to the work of God. I remember some years ago a young couple, was, uh, he was offered a great job with a great increase in his salary and he never one time counseled with the pastor and asked if he would pray with him concerning the will of God. He never one time considered if there was a good Bible preaching church in the community, a preacher that would stand with the hand of God upon him and the power of God and the anointing of God. And they moved without that godly counsel. And the opportunity, while on an earthly side looked great, it became a hindrance to him and caused him to get out of church and out of the will of God. Hindrances, distractions. And distractions have robbed us of our peace with God, our power with God, our prayer life with God. It has robbed us of our pursuit of God. And it has hindered us of our propagation of the gospel of God distractions secondly is because of disobedience the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel speaking of Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and 23 for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is the iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he also hath rejected thee from being king as we find that Disobedience caused God to move his hand off of Saul. And may I say to you that disobedience will cause the same God to take his hand off of you and I. A disobedience, a neglect to obey the word of God, a neglect to be faithful to the things that God has established us to do. Distractions, disobedience. The Bible says in Romans 5, 19, in the scriptures, but one, by one man, sin, our disobedience, many were made sinners. And may I say to you, our great revival text in the Bible, in Second Chronicles in chapter 7 and verse number 14, that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and you know the scriptures tonight, and I say to you that in that great revival text, there is humility and prayer and repentance, and these are the requirements for revival. And God requires that we're obedient to his word and distractions and disobedience robs us of the blessings and the presence of Almighty God. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15 and 47 through 48, the Bible gives clear definition of the results of a rebellious heart, a rebellious individual, and a rebellious nation. The Bible tells us that we should consider or count our sin. In fact, God says, Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tarry in pieces and there be none to deliver. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, We cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. Is your sails hoisted tonight? Are we ready for the breeze of heaven when God blows and God chooses to send revival? 
Spurgeon said this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that most Christians would make good martyrs. He said they're so spiritually dry they'd burn well at the stake. James Burns said this, and I've seen this firsthand in churches all over America. He said the first tendency is for the a doctrine of the church to lose its power of convicting of the conscious, convincing the mind, and moving the heart. Spiritual decay brings with it a formality of worship in which the ritual is so exalted that it crushes and quenches the Spirit of God. I thank God tonight that I'm a member of a church that has life and vitality and people don't mind saying amen, raising a hand, shouting a, a glory to God and worshiping God tonight. R.G. Lee, that great preacher that preached payday Sunday, made this statement concerning revival. He said if all the sleeping folk would wake up, if all the lukewarm folk would fire up, if all the dishonest folk would confess up, and if all the disgruntled folk would make up, and if all the depressed folk would cheer up, and if all the strange folk would make up, and if all the gossipers would shut up, and if all the soldiers would stand up, and if all the dry bones would shake up, and if all church members would pray up, then we might be able to have revival. It was unknown, but someone wrote the following. Revival does not start with a date, but with a desire. Revival does not start with an evangelist, but with an earnestness. Revival does not start with a meeting, but with a man. Revival does not require a collection, but a correction. Revival is not meetings, but a moving of the Spirit of God. Revival should not contain evangelistic speakers, but earnest seekers. Revivals do not consist of programs, but of God's power. Revivals do not cry for growth, but for God. Revivals do not, uh, are not about our rights, but about His righteousness. Revivals do not contain a promotion, but a commotion of God. God, let revival begin, and let it begin in me, and if we would get right with God in America and in the nations of the world and turn from our disobedience and our distractions, we might be able to experience revival in America and around the world. Have you ever considered how much we sin? I was sitting in our study some time back and I began to just do some calculations. I, I love facts and figures and stats and I don't thrive on them, but I enjoy them. To me, it sets things in perspective. And I began to wonder if a, from a time a person is born and they live on an average of uh, 60 years of life, what would be the average amount of sin that one would commit against God? And if a person in an average 24-hour day is awake most of the time in our generation, uh, 16 hours a day, and many of us maybe many, uh, much more. But if you figure in just the waking hours in a 16-hour day, if a person thinks the wrong thought, hears the wrong thing, catches himself in a place where they should not be, allow the eyes to see what they should not see. Intentional or unintentional sin. If one just averaged one sin every 20 minutes of a 16-hour waking day, 
That is uh, 48 sins per day. And you say, well, preacher, that don't sound like much. It's not murder. It's not embezzlement. But my friend, may I say to you tonight that know you not that a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump, and that sin is sin against God. And it's the little sins that spoil us and cause us to be rebellious against God. You take that 48 sins time uh, seven days or one week, that's 336 times a week we have rebelled against God. If you multiply that times the 52 weeks in a year, that's 17,472 times annually that we rebel and are disobedient against, disobedient against God. Every decade, that means that we have every 10 years, if we average once every 20 minutes, thinking, seeing, hearing, or doing something that is displeasing against God, that means that every decade, every 10 years, we would have transgressed against the will of God 174,700 times in 10 years. And you take that and multiply it by a person who would live on an average of 60 years, that means in that individual's life, he would have sinned against God over 10 and a half million times. We wonder why God didn't give us revival. We wonder why God is not moving when you take that one uh, calculation and multiply it by the thousands or the millions of God's people around the world and all across America. Our sins have hid his face from us and God will not hear and God will not answer our prayer. The Bible says in Luke 6, 46, and why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Are you here tonight in your life as a hindrance to revival? In your home? In your community? In your church and in our nation? I wonder tonight where in the heart and the soul and the mind of man tonight, I wonder sitting in our midst tonight where that one is that the Holy Spirit of God has convicted time and time and time and time again of our sin and yet we have walked away in rebellion and disobedience. I wonder tonight if our sin and transgression has hindered God from not only working revival, but maybe our own loved ones that we've prayed for and wept before God, if we have hindered them from coming to know Christ as their Savior. I remember a man that I spoke with some years ago. He was a homosexual. He was in the institution, and his dad was a Baptist preacher. And I remember when he called me, uh, through the kite system inside the prison and asked if I would visit with him and his name was Kyle. 
And I sat with him and I shared the gospel with him and I, he had asked me questions about his sin and his lifestyle and we had covered it extensively in the scriptures and finally he began to break and the Holy Spirit of God began to convict him and break through his callous heart. And I remember sitting and listening to Kyle and he began to weep and he said, Preacher, I would get saved. He said, but my daddy would stand in the pulpit and preach and go home and pull out a fifth of liquor underneath the mattress and get drunk on Sunday evening. He said, I would get saved and give my life to God. But I saw my dad abuse my mother. And I saw the hypocrisy and the double standard at home. He said, preacher, I'd get saved and give my life to God if I didn't see so much hypocriticism taking place and hypocrisy in our nation. And I told him, I said, Kyle, can I share with you what someone shared with me a while back about the hypocrite? He said, yes, sir. I said, you won't be offended at me? He said, no, sir. I said, I'm going to shoot straight with you then. I said, I had a prisoner a while back told me, he said, you know something? He said, the sad truth of the matter is, if a hypocrite stands between you and God, the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. And God used it to break him. He bowed his head and he prayed and he trusted Christ as the Savior. And I told him, I said, Kyle, write home and tell your mom and dad you got saved. Surely he'll be excited for you. And I helped him write a letter. And he wrote his dad reluctantly and shared with him about his salvation. His dad sent him a letter back two weeks later and said, I told you, wouldn't even call him by his name. He said, I told you when you told me the lifestyle that you'd gone toward. He said, I told you, you were as good as dad. We didn't want anything to do with you and he said as far as I'm concerned you can't be saved you'll die and go to hell in your sin and it's my prayer that you do may I say to you tonight that disobedience is killing revival in our nation and in our churches and in our homes there's a third thing tonight denial In the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, verses 14 through 17, we find that John wrote unto the church of the Laodiceans, he said this, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art either cold or hot. I would that thou were cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and either cold or hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Now notice what God says about the Laodicean church and Christians. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Notice in the context of our scripture, the Laodicean church was in a state of denial. They had said to the Lord that we're rich, we're increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. And yet God knew the truth. God knew the heart. God knew the soul. And God knew their place. And God said, Thou art poor and miserable and wretched and blind. May I say to you tonight that we are not experiencing revival in our nation and other nations on the planet because of denial. We deny our sin and we deny our place before Almighty God and God cannot bless us. I'm reminded some years ago of an individual that the Holy Spirit of God had continuously convicted and 
warned them and wooed them of their sin. They were in a state of denial and denied their sin. Be sure, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, that our sins will find us out. God will not sweep the sin of a saint under the carpet and judge the sinner. God judges sin as a whole. The Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched. See, the Bible uh, tells us that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we're sealed into the day of redemption. And to grieve the Holy Spirit of God is when we uh, do what we shouldn't do. When we do the things that God very clearly in His Word explains and uh, commands that we not do and we do them, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we act against the law of God and the will of God in our lives. Secondly, we quench the Holy Spirit. And the difference in quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit of God, where grieving the Holy Spirit of God is doing the things that we shouldn't do, we quench the Holy Spirit of God when we don't do what we should do. Has the Holy Spirit of God ever impressed upon your heart to witness to someone and you fail to do so? If so, you quench the Spirit of God. Has the Spirit of God ever impressed upon your heart to stand and give testimony and you did not do it? Then you quench the Spirit of God. Has God ever laid upon your heart to do something for His glory and His honor and you failed to do so? Then if so, you have quenched and sinned against the Spirit of God. We cannot be blessed of God. We cannot have revival when we either quench or grieve the Spirit of God. I remember in a revival at the Idaho State Penitentiary some years ago. We were preaching and it was hard preaching that week. And it was tight and it was tense. And I remember on a particular night there were several officers in there. There were several hundred prisoners that had come to the meeting. And I remember as the message went out, the men sat there stone cold faced. They did not move hardly at all. And then one night while we were singing Amazing Grace, you could feel the Spirit of God begin to move and work. There was a prisoner sitting toward the back of the congregation who got up and approached another man sitting about two-thirds of the way back. And as he walked toward that prisoner, the officers began to close in. I knew it couldn't be a good situation with the officers moving in. As the inmate went up to the other man who sat there, he fell over his neck and began to weep and sob. And you could hear him speaking aloud and saying, Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm a Christian and I shouldn't have done that. And he begged the man to come to the altar to pray with him. That man finally got up and the officers kept a little distance but they followed him down the center aisle and they both fell on the altar and they prayed and they were weeping. You see, one was a Christian. In fact, both of them were a Christian and the one got mad at the other and he offered a $50 bounty on anyone who had killed this other man, his brother in the Lord. And that night when they had met at the altar, they prayed. 
When they got up off that altar, and I have only been in a few prisons, at least outside of the South, where there was any shouting or rejoicing of any great magnitude that transpired in the services, especially in some of the Western states. But that night when those two men came off the altar and tears were flying and they began to hug each other, all of a sudden somebody in the back said, Glory to God! Somebody on this side said, Hallelujah! Praise God! All of a sudden another man went over to this man and they came to the altar and started praying and this man went to another man over there and before long there were men gathered together two and three and four of them at a time praying and asking God to forgive them and I'm telling you you can sense a cloud lift off of that prison and all of a sudden men started coming forward and getting gloriously saved and right with God and all of a sudden revival broke out and I'm telling you tonight it only happened when two men who were at odds against each other and at odds against God got things right. Why is it that in America we pray for revival, we beg God for revival, and yet revival does not happen? The Holy Spirit is grieved by our insensitivity. The Holy Spirit is grieved by our dishonesty. The Holy Spirit is grieved by our pride. The Holy Spirit is grieved by our laziness. The Holy Spirit is grieved by our prayerlessness. And we cannot have revival if we grieve or quench the Spirit of God. No man is greater than his prayer life. No woman is greater than her prayer life. And to be much for God, we must be much with God. There was the Moravian revival, and I don't endorse the Moravian doctrine by any stretch of the imagination. But they began to pray and earnestly seek God for revival. And they began to pray and fast. And they got a 24-hour fasting where people would take certain times of the hour, of the 24-hour. And for a hundred years, they fasted and prayed around the clock for revival. And one night it happened when God began to move in. And people began to get right with God and right with each other. May I say to you tonight, we cannot be right with God if we're not right with one another. Reminded of the great preacher Mordecai Ham. He was in a revival meeting in the bootleg part of the country. He was preaching one night on sin and they got stirred up and mad at him. They stole his horse and his saddle and they broke into the meeting and stole uh, many of the hymn books and other items. Mordecai Ham, being the man of God and the preacher, the fearless preacher he was, stood in the pulpit and he said to them on the next meeting, he said, I pray that if my saddle and my horse and our items that have been stolen is not here by in the morning, I pray God smites down every single man that had a hand in stealing God's instruments. By morning, two men, the ringleaders, lay stone cold dead. Things begin to trickle back in. In fact, all of it had come in but his saddle. 
And Mordecai Ham stood in the pulpit the following night and he said, I pray God smites the man who stole my saddle and I'm going to drop to my knees now and pray. He was a man with power. And as he stood and told the congregation he's getting ready to pray, a man in the back of the church stood up and said, wait a minute, preacher. Don't pray that prayer. I'll have your saddle here in a minute. We need revival because we need power with God for God to hear and answer our prayer. Then there's a fourth thing tonight, and I'll close. Distance. You see, we have distanced ourselves from God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he talks about the pleasures and the cares of this world and how it'll be in the last days, disobedience to parents. And he lists the sins of our society. My friend, distance is the space between. And sometimes we just gradually grow cold on God. Have you ever noticed you can have revival in a shouted out service in less than a few days or before you get home your heart's dark and cold? I remember some years ago I was a member at the Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. And I wasn't living in open sin. I wasn't living in adultery or fornication or hadn't murdered and I wasn't doing anything of that nature. I was tithing and involved in the ministry. It's just my heart was cold and wasn't as close to God as it should have been. I'd not prayed as earnestly as I should have prayed. And Pastor Guffey asked the question. He said, anyone here this morning, your heart's cold and distant on God, and you're just not where you need to be with the Lord. Well, I, I knew that I, I hadn't been where I should be, and so I wouldn't live in any open sin, but I raised my hand in the back of the church. And Pastor Guffey, Brother Lord, you'd have had to have known him. Brother Guffey said, God bless you back there, Brother Ellis. I see your hand, son. I'll be praying for you. And I thought to myself, dear Lord, the whole church and God and everybody knows it now. I've got to go because he called me out in front of the church. And I got up and started down the aisle. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't under conviction. I was embarrassed because I'd raised my hand and my preacher had called me out. And I got up out of my seat and I started walking down the aisle and somewhere about midways the Holy Spirit of God began to convict me and, and I started weeping and God broke me and I fell on that altar. And I'll say to you, my friend, that since that day I've done my best to keep my heart in tune with God, to pray for God, uh, to use me. And I have prayed that God would give me opportunities to witness to Him and prayed that God would have His hand upon me. And I say to you tonight, it may not be the big sin in your life that is hindering revival in your heart and life. It may just be that disobedience tonight. It might just be that little sin that you sweep under the carpet and don't. You know the Bible says what it says about sin? He that hideth his sin shall not prosper. The distance. Reminds me of a friend that I've known years ago. He's unfortunately not in the ministry anymore. When he was in college, he 
In Bible college, every time he would preach, he'd preach on sin. He'd bust tight. He'd thrill the paint off the wall. And finally, they came to him one day and said, Brother Bill, can you ever preach on a message on love? He said, well, I'll pray about it. And so when he got to preach the next time, he preached out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither things in the world. If any man love the world, love the fathers, not in them. And he busted their hide. May I say to you tonight that it is the distance, the slow drifting from God. Revival requires sincere repentance, a sacrificial commitment, and it requires significant action. As they come to the instruments tonight, I wonder tonight, are you obedient to the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit grieved tonight with your life? Is there anything tonight that would hinder God working in your life, your family, and our church? Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you tonight. I'd ask you that you'll take these few short, simple words, use them for thy glory. My Father, we need revival. We want revival. But many times we're not willing to pay the price for revival. So tonight, may you help us. God, to turn and to see our need for the Lord and to draw nigh unto him. I ask in Christ's name. Heads bowed and eyes closed as folks are coming tonight. It may not be the big things tonight. Maybe it's just a conglomeration of the little things that adds up to that 10 and a half million sins in a lifetime that hinders God working in our life. As a sing tonight, you need to come, you come.